Hi, this is Dr. Bill Renner. I myself am board certified in internal medicine and radiology. I'm honored to moderate a series of podcasts focused on evidence-based health and wellness with Dr. Alan Safdie. Dr. Safdie has lectured around the world and was the principal investigator in about 1,200 clinical research studies which have been published. Dr. Safdie, let's talk about muscle strength. Um, you were telling me that there's some surprising new information about um, muscle strength. Um, and also, I wanted to ask you, can exercise be bad? Um, exercise, absolutely. I'll answer that in one quick sentence. Yes, exercise can be bad for you if things aren't done appropriately, and we'll discuss that. But, you know, we have some interesting information um, in regards to diet that we really didn't know before. Um, but, you know, let's talk about resistance training. You know, there's three different main exercise or four different types of exercise that we always talk to patients about, you know, aerobic exercise, your walk, your run, your bike, um, weight exercise or resistance training, which a small fraction of adults in the United States do the minimum amount of at least two muscle strengthening workouts each week. It's, you know, reported about only 6% of adults in the United States actually do it and do it appropriately. Um, we talked about osteoporosis, but neglecting this resistance training puts you at a higher risk, um, puts you at higher risk for balance problems, other things. Balance exercises are another form that, you know, we need to work on, especially as we get older. And then stretching exercises. Um, you know, I'm not saying everybody should look like a weightlifter, but, you know, it's surprising information. Um and we need to fight back against this muscle loss that we start to see as we get older. And it can be done, um, but it has to be something that's regular. You know, the bones, the muscles, the ligaments, the tendons, they all work together. And the stronger they are, the better off we are and the less injuries we have. Um, if you're getting stronger uh, and avoid some of this muscle loss, you're going to avoid... Some of the fractures are some of the actual falls that we have, some of the back pain we have because we get compression fractures, some of the osteoporosis, arthritis, etc. So let's talk about this diet. And you asked me, is there anything new in regards to diet? One of the fascinating things that came out of, um, and it's not a U.S. study, but it was published in the Journal of Nutrition, that people that consumed a nitrate-rich diet, uh, predominantly from vegetables, not them getting nitrates from bacon and stuff like that, had significantly better muscle function of their lower limb. Um, poor muscle function, you know, we know is linked to greater falls, greater fractures, and it's a key indicator of general health and well-being. And this was done at Melbourne, and I know you've been there and lectured, Bill, but they looked at, it's a large study, over 3,700 individuals, and over a 12-year period, and they looked at them, and they found those with the highest regular consumption of these nitrate-containing vegetables had 11% stronger lower limb strength than those with the lowest intake, and their walking speeds were even better. Uh, so it's fascinating study uh, to optimize muscle function. We propose that a balanced diet should be rich in these green leafy vegetables in combination with your regular exercise, including weight training, uh, which we all go for. So go for the green, you know, uh, leafy greens may be tremendously beneficial uh, and research the vegetables that 
you know, people ask, well, which ones may be uh, the best? We're not sure which ones are the best, but we found that nitrate-rich vegetables, things like lettuce, which has nitrates in it, spinach, kale, beetroot, uh, you know, all provided great health benefits. And we're not even talking about blood pressure lowering or cardiovascular benefits, which they also have benefits for. Um, so let's, you know, go to, you know, how could exercising be bad for you? Um, do you have any idea, Bill? How, how could it be dangerous? Besides, well, you could I, fall off the bike. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, um, people who have a uh, coronary artery disease that exercise could uh, could induce a, uh, acute coronary event. I mean, that's the, the most obvious one, although that's relatively rare. Yeah, I mean, that's extremely rare. It, it's it's actually there's studies in gyms and other places and marathons and stuff, and it's lower than the general population. Although if somebody dies in a gym, it gets published much more than if somebody dies in their sleep. But, you know, the benefits of exercise first and foremost, outweigh any of the risk. Um, injuries can occur due to poor training, improper gear, poor physical fitness, uh, or, or even failure to warm up. And, and they're, you know, they're way too common. Um, if we look at a study that's been published, the prevalence of exercise injuries, 18% of adults reported having an athletic reported injury in, you know, a 12-month period of time. So let's talk about some of the common ones. And, um, you know, Achilles tendon, very common. Uh, this condition occurs in sports that involve a lot of running, rapid starting, and, you know, um, and the Achilles tendon can be get tight. It's not just the tendon you're stretching. It's the muscles that attach to the tendon. Not wearing the wear right shoes, not changing your shoes when they're worn out. Uh, too much frequency of that, not cross-training. So if all you do is run, um, and you don't stretch and you don't do anything else, or you run when you have inflammation of the Achilles tendon, where you're already having pain in it, you may end up actually causing significant injury to that. Um, one of the other things that we see, and you see more than I do, is fractures. A sudden impact to any bone can cause a fracture. Um, so you see stress fractures, and you can talk in a second about how common stress fractures are, but broken bones can occur in any sport. Uh, we always think of just the contact sports, um, but we can see those in any sports. We can see them in stress fractures can occur in any of the endurance sports, long distance running. Uh, if you're starting getting pain, back off. Um, you know, other things we see dislocations, you know, that they can present similar to broken bones. Um, and we see those in people that are doing these stopping and starting football, hockey, you know, basketball type things, even even soccer. Um, and it can be in their fingers. It can be in their shoulders. It can be in the knees, the hips. Uh, one of the things that, you know, both you and I, I think some point have had is patellar tendonitis or what we call jumper's knee. Um, and it's when the tendon connecting to the patella, the tibia is injured or inflamed. And one of the things I don't do is back off. And I do now, but when I was younger, I didn't. If it starts hurting, find another exercise to do. Um, and the primary symptom is knee pain, usually below the kneecap. So you don't want this to become you know, chronic. Uh, it's common in sports with frequent jumping, basketball, things like that. But and overweight people have it a little bit more. 
Um, yeah, in fact, it's, it's actually the most common uh, orthopedic injury in young people under the age of 30, uh, so-called jumper's knee. And they, uh, as you mentioned, 20% of jumping sports like basketball or um, long jumpers um, uh, develop uh, develop this. So it's, it's a very, uh, very uh, common injury. Uh, as you mentioned, stress fractures occur when you have normal bone, but they're put under uh, excess strain. Like uh, we see it every year. I see it here in Cincinnati when um, the uh, right Patterson takes on a new uh, 1,000 recruits, Air Force recruits, and they march them, take them out for like a 15 mile to 20 mile marches. And then uh, the uh, these young guys will develop a stress fracture in their foot. That's probably the most uh, common thing I see. But in the in joggers, they develop most time the fractures, stress fractures in the tibia, and uh, they'll get tibial uh, pain or starts out as so-called shin splints, which are kind of micro stress fractures. And then the shin splints become larger and, and become actual stress fractures. And if they don't stop running, we had we had a woman who was kind of addicted to running. She was a beautiful, beautiful blonde that was kind of used to all this attention. Then when she got older, she didn't get it. So she started jogging. She got addicted to uh, running and she developed stress fractures, wouldn't stop until she developed a true fracture and had to be in a long, long, uh, long leg cast for nine months before the fractures healed. So stress fractures um, are something we all, you know, all need to be uh, aware of. And just like you said, when you have pain, stop. Your body's telling you something. Yeah, I mean, pain, what we do now when we have pain is we reach for a bottle of something to get rid of the pain. Uh, an anti-inflammatory. Anti-inflammatories don't cure anything. Um, they have a lot of side effects, and we've talked about them before, and we'll talk about them, I think, in our next podcast. I think it's time to revisit non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. But say you get a shin split, which is defined as the front part of your leg, um, anterior part of the surface of the lower leg, between the knee and ankle somewhere. And this stress injury usually occurs in runners more than anything that I see, some basketball players. And the tendons around the shin become overused and inflamed, results in pain. So we're reaching for a bottle of something so we don't have the pain, so we can go out and run. Then we're injuring it more. And, you know, with rest, it usually goes away. But with untreated, with continued exercise, you can progress to these significant stress fractures that you mentioned before. Um, you know, we see sprains and strains, you know, these acute injuries uh, involve a stretch or tear of a ligament near a joint, such as a wrist, an ankle, or a knee. And, you know, they may be a twisting motion while you're skiing, while you're doing something else. Symptoms can involve pain, swelling, and bruising. Um, and, you know, take it easy. Tennis elbow, one of the common things that I hear people, because I play a lot of tennis, you know, it's a painful chronic condition, which affects tennis players and golfers. And it's overuse of the tendons in the elbow. The pain occurs in the outside of the elbow. It can radiate up the forearm to the wrist. And this condition, you know, can even result in grip weakness. But, you know, the key is prevention. Stretching is an excellent way to prevent injury from sports or any exercise. It's important to wear the right protective gear, to wear the right shoes. Don't wear worn out tennis shoes. Hydration is very important, um, not just before you exercise. But as you're exercising, the more you sweat, the more water you should take in. It doesn't have to be a sports drink. Um, and before starting any exercise program, you know, make sure you have a good physical examination, get the right gear, 
And when returning to, you know, exercise after injury, take it slow. Don't go out. You don't have to start doing ultra marathons when you haven't been able to run. Um, you know, yeah, and I think anyone who's at the age where they could have a coronary event should talk to their doctor before they exercise. Uh, mm-hmm. Stress test is a relatively simple test that's that's relatively highly accurate at uh, uh, at uh, preventing uh, preventing uh, or detecting early heart disease that may be unknown. Yeah. No, you're absolutely correct, Bill. So just remember, if you're getting injured, back off. Consist, you know, everybody through you know, the last 30 years has talked about RICE, R-I-C-E, uh, physicians, sports trainers, like, you know, rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Um, it doesn't include pain medicine. You know, resting, you know, a day or two may suffice, but it may take longer. Um, you know, if you have a sore ankle or lower leg, excessive weight bearing may not be indicated. Ice, apply ice to the affected areas, but do it appropriately, you know, for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, every four hours to reduce the pain and inflammation. Um, You know, crushed ice is better than ice cubes put into things. Uh, They have lots of ice packs. Compression, applying pressure to the injured areas can help with swelling and support the areas. Um, Don't put elastic bandages on too tight. Um, You don't want to cut off the circulation. Elevation, so you can get rid of some of the swelling. Raise the affected area in the whatever the affected area is, raise it higher than the level of your heart. Um, and try not, you know, if you're getting pain, your body's telling you something. It's not telling you to go to the pharmacy and find a medication to get rid of the pain. It's telling you, look at your shoes, modify your exercise. Should you take some rest? Um, you know, do this before you have a chronic injury. But as a whole, you know, remember what I said in the beginning, 18% of adults reported having an athletic-related injury over a 12-month period of time if they're good athletes. Yes, you can have these, but you can avoid them becoming chronic problems. Um, you know, the benefits of exercise, as we said initially, greatly outweigh any of the risk. Um, look at your gear, look at your training, look at your physical fitness, and do adequate warm-ups before you start. Alan, again, that was a great, uh, great talk and great discussion. If you like evidence-based medicine and our discussions, uh, please, uh, please subscribe to our podcast. Please tell your friends about uh, the podcast. Our next, our next uh, podcast is going to be about NSAIDs and those anti-inflammatory medicines. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Bill, and stay safe, Bill. <laughs>